This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, actress Kate Flannery of the hit NBC comedy series The Office, where she played Meredith for over nine seasons, opposite such incredible talent as Steve Carell, Rain Wilson, John Krasinski, Jenna Fisher, Ed Helms, and many more. We'll discuss the career path that led her to auditioning for The Office back in 2005, the very early stages of her career, where she trained in Second City, and some of the essential lessons from that program that carried over into her later work. We'll delve into the creative process of working on The Office with the talented cast, writers, and directors, and some of her other collaborations outside of The Office, where she's worked with actress Jane Lynch on stage and on a holiday album called A Swingin' Little Christmas, and her long-running stage show with actor Scott Robinson, The Lampshades. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, visit jogroadproductions.com. You can subscribe to Road to Cinema on YouTube through the Jog Road Productions YouTube channel and check out our interviews with Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, and many more. You can follow us on Twitter at Jog Road, Instagram Jog Road Productions, like our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions, and don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join actress Kate Flannery as we discuss the early part of her career being part of the touring company for Second City. So I just wanted to kind of start off by talking about, I read that you were originally in musical theater and your big transition was joining Second City. So is that um, accurate? That's kind of true. I, although I will say um, in college, I had an epiphany. I was studying musical theater at the school in Virginia and I felt like nobody had my sense of humor. And I also realized that my type was going away because the 80s was sort of the time of like, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and there really wasn't like the second funny lady, the second banana, which had yeah. been such a staple in the 50s, 60s, and a little bit in the 70s. So yeah, I, uh, so I transferred schools, um, and then I kind of used all my skills that I had learned at this conservatory in Virginia, Shenandoah Conservatory, to, to like make fun of musicals. <laughs> when I got to Second City, it was like, and then I was at the Annoyance, and that's, that was kind of this thing that we just continued to do, so... So I've read Second City is pretty rigorous in terms of the structure of it. There's certain yes, levels that you're moving up. it's very political, very, yes, very hierarchical. So what was your initial yeah. impression jumping in there? Were you, did you feel intimidated at all or were you um, kind of ready abs- to... Absolutely. Um, I, I, when I first got hired, I was supposed to go into this one company and then I got switched to uh, a swing, which meant I had to understudy for a couple different ones. But I was also working at the Annoyance Theater, and we were doing the Real Life Brady Bunch, and I was playing Alice at the time. I was the second Alice in the original cast, but I'd, st- I'd done episodes like pretty much, except for like the first two months I think I got involved like in that show for a while. So it was, it had this big cult hit in Chicago, like people would line yeah. up like down the block in freezing cold weather, um, to, and we would sometimes do three shows in one wow. night. So um, I was getting this like crazy, uh, great you know affirmation from from working at the Annoyance and and when I first got Second City I was sort of it was a little bit of a like I it was it's a it, you really start at the bottom <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, and there's so many great people there um, and you know and touring is very odd because if you don't know how to play a certain game like you learn in buffalo <laughs> you learn how to you know do that one improv game uh give me a line in so you buffalo. start off in chicago at the main theater well, and then you, you have the option of touring no you later. have to tour um but i think um the monday there's like a i can't remember the structure but um there's like i think it's like one monday a month your company gets to do the show at second city yeah. but 
it's a Monday, so it's 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 kind of like off you know like an off school night. So the people that come know that they're not seeing the main stage show. It's like another uh. thing. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you there there are several touring companies. Then there are several resident companies, and then the main stage is like that's the, the that's the big prize. Uh. Um, but I actually um, I toured for I toured for about a year, um, and I took a leave of absence because of the Brady Bunch. Um, well, I also was doing another show with Jill Soloway at the Annoyance called uh, The Miss Vagina Pageant. Oh, Jill Soloway from Transparent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, these were her babies. And so she was like starting out. She had so much, um, just so much energy and so much imagination. And I feel like people really noticed what she was doing, even though we were just in this like yeah. kind of seedy um, <laughs> ex-drag club. Uh, the Annoyance took over this ex-drag theater, which was so crazy with folding chairs and I remember we did this show called The Miss Vagina Pageant and Lauren Michaels came to see us. We had to do a special show for him and he brought his good buddy, um, Quincy Jones. Ah. And they were sitting <laughs> on these shitty chairs. It was so crazy. And um, I had lunch with Lauren Michaels and it was in, under consideration for SNL. Really? Um, yeah, And um, but also like what's weird about The Miss Vagina Pageant, it was a kind of a feminist comedy about, you know, it was actually like a pageant, you know, it was, it was literally a pageant. It was like a mock pageant yes. on stage. Uh. So what ended up happening was that four out of the six of us were under consideration for SNL. And that was like the one year that they didn't look at Second City. So even though I was working at both places, it was weird that, it was, the, it was kind of unprecedented that that was yeah. the one time. I mean, almost every cast member, I mean, like a majority have been Second yes, City. Yes, absolutely. So, so it was uh, a very strange year in 1991. Yeah. And um, I just remember feeling like all of a sudden it felt like a real pageant because <laughs> We were vying for the first spot. It was so weird. Like, it's weird to compete against your friends. I mean, not that you ever do because everybody has their own, but it's just a weird. And and actually, I think Lauren has some history of sort of a kind of subtly pitting people against each other. So, like, two of us had lunch with them at the same time. One of us would walk with them one way, walk with us, wow. you know. It's like his psychological uh, mind games. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and it was it was very you know at the time it was like a it was head spinning and I I didn't get it and I was disappointed but I I you know I, I was really disappointed but I felt like I didn't have the space to be disappointed because I had to be happy for my friends. <laughs> it's so weird you know so it's yeah. it was kind of a weird dance um, and I feel like it took me a few years and a lot of therapy later to kind of go well you know the good news is is that it's an affirmation of your talent. So if you look at it, like, I mean, there's so many people who have been considered for SNL who have not. Yeah, Jim Carrey, I uh, think. Yes, uh, yes. Even, Stephen yeah. Colbert. You know, there's so many people. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm only naming one, but, you, you know, there's, yeah. there's, I think there's like a long list on the SNL 40th that they, that they kind of show some of their audition tapes, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, there is like that affirmation. Um, I mean, and there's some people that, you know, go away and never come back. And I remember um, I was probably... It must have been like 10 years later. I was waiting tables in Beverly Hills, and Mike Shoemaker, who was Lauren's right hand man, who was with us at lunch and on the walk, yeah. he was having dinner with Tina Fey. And um, he came up to me, he's like, Hey, Kate, hey. And I was waiting tables, and I was so in like the funk, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, and I'd so like let it go. He's like, From SNL. I mean, I knew who Tina Fey was at the time. She wasn't super famous at the time, but he's like, he said to me, he goes, I hope you're not giving up. Don't give up. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing my comedy act. And, you know, I, it was like such a weird, I, I felt like he was snapping me out of a haze. And so yeah. it's so funny. I, I've seen Mike since I got the office and like, I've seen him at so many NBC functions and he's just always been this like kind of bright light, like that sort of 
remind you not not to you know just not to give up on yourself but also not to take like not to take the losses too seriously they're just part of the deal yeah. you know i think that's an important piece that sometimes it can crush you if you you know i mean and i i say that now because since the office is over like i have disappointments i get close to stuff and i'm like oh you know i have this kind of vision of where i think my my career is going to go and sometimes it's it's um it's that's not kind of the plan. nature of the of the business in a way. no matter how high you get that's or true what level you are. that's true yeah. and you, there's i think i had imagined that i would get to a point where i would be immune to that or you kind of coast in a way yeah 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah or just wouldn't wouldn't yeah wouldn't take it so so deep sometimes but it's like I'm, I'm an artist, so it's like, you know, when I'm an actor and like, unfortunately in business, I'm a business person too, but it's like my business is me. So it's weird. So I, you know, I mean, I don't know. Did you find other people in second city that sort of took losses like that harder? And I think so. You, you know, think? it's funny. I was at the 50th anniversary a few years ago and I remember, um, feeling like we, there was a few people there that I was like, Oh my God, I totally thought some of these people would be way more famous and they like some of them kind of never worked again or or i never got out of chicago i should say and they're super talented so you kind of feel like what what was the what's the misstep or what's the you know i I don't even know if it's a misstep i feel like some people are just wired to move on and some people aren't yeah you know it's it's really a strange thing that's why i always tell like anybody who's pursuing uh improv and comedy and acting of any kind like just make sure you're taking care of yourself, like just either with therapy or something that like supports your your soul or something or like you know whatever you want to call it. But it's like make sure you take care of yourself because there's so many hits that can just bring you down and yeah. it can be so confusing. You know, it, it's yeah. just no. Yeah. It's almost it's like a combination between like talent and like developing kind of like a core strength to kind of move yes. through different levels. In right, life. right, right. And it's funny because the people that I've met that have like really long careers, like they, you, you think that they've just been you know on top the whole time, and then you realize, <laughs> oh no, 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 you know, no. But certain things like support you through other processes, and it's 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 really like a fascinating, wonderful, horrible thing. <laughs> you know, Cause sometimes like it's the highs can be so high. The lows can be so weird because they're not like when you're a kid low, you know, they're not when you're struggling. Yeah. It's, just, it's not the same. But it's like a different type of low, like missing out on like a certain project as yeah. opposed to sort of not getting an audition at the very beginning. Absolutely. And yeah. then you hear that, you know, I've, I've heard things that like even Harrison Ford, you know, even Han Solo <laughs> feels like, well, this was the my last gig. This was it. You know, like there's that feeling of like this perpetual yeah. thing that it'll never be as good as No, I've heard that. Dustin Hoffman say that too. Like every Jesus movie he God. appears in, he thinks it's like the last one. Nobody's <laughs> ever going to offer him anything else. It's, but it, I, now I understand. <laughs> I used to feel like, what the hell's wrong with you? But now I'm like, oh it's wrong with all of us. It's just, just so built in uh, because it's so hard sometimes to, to you know, especially because I, I feel like I had to kind of relearn how to, you know, after being on a show for nine years, I had, felt like I really had to relearn how to show up and and, and really work on an, on an audition and kind of figure out like, okay, how, how am I my best self, you know? Yeah. Were there any skills from Second City that you think helped with either auditioning or even just like acting in any project? Well, I think later this, on? the skill of improv and and um, having like the use of because I also studied with Del Close, who had his own theater, Improv Olympic, yeah. at the time. Very famous. Uh, Very the, famous. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, Del did not like women. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I re- do you remember, you know, overtly uh, or? Yeah, it was pretty overt. Yeah, he was. Uh, he didn't hide it. Um, so there was only there weren't that many women in our class because of that because it was like uh, and I remember having a f- couple of tough classes and like feeling like uh, you know I, I 
holding back the tears. Not, I never cried in front of him, but I was like, holy shit. Like, and I get it. Like, it's, it's a very specific thing that he's teaching. And I, I feel like sometimes, you know, you just don't want to be the woman that's in the cast that's like, because you're only there because it's affirmative action. They had to have a woman. You know, you want to be a player. Yeah. Um, but I also think that the great thing about improv is just like understanding that, because I, I feel like so many times, particularly in like comedy movies, I've done a, a bunch of indie movies in the last four years, and I feel like they're sort of hungry for something that you have to bring. So you can you can do a few takes that are as written, but if you can um, improvise within the structure that they've created, because I, yeah. I also think that um, it's great to be able to improvise a whole entire scene, but it's not always useful for when you're filming. And sometimes you waste a lot of time. Yeah. And Especially I learned, when there's like a story arc for each exactly. scene. And exactly. And I, I really learned how to improv for the camera working at on the office. I mean, that was like the best teacher. And it took a little while to figure it out. But it's sort of like you don't you don't speak when you're not really spoken to, or you don't you don't speak too much when you're spoken to. It's like and sometimes you can improvise, like if you if your line is a word, like then you have one word to improvise, like yeah. because there's a rhythm to the scene and you don't want to mess it up, but you want you can heighten it. Um, so I feel like that was that's a tremendous a tremendous uh, a gift to just kind of realize that you know each take is an opportunity. You do want to do the writer service, you do want to do the director service, but you also can possibly give them a gift that they weren't expecting yeah. or like that they, you know, that's kind of much appreciated. Now working so many years on stage and then when you finally acted for the first time in front of a camera with sound equipment, was that a big adjustment huge, for you? Huge, huge. I will say, um, you know, thank God for Greg Daniels, our showrunner in the office. You know, he was so patient with me because he'd say, a little less, a little less. And like some directors were like, down to 10%, you know, <laughs> Charles McDougall was like, bring it down to 10%. This British guy was like hilarious. Um, but I got it. It's like the less is more and kind of really understanding that um, the way that you communicate with the camera is so different and also understanding where you are on the lens. Like if you are way in the back, you know, you may have to stand up or do something that's a little different than you would if the camera's really close to you. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but it's, it's weird because when you're so used to doing a scene, you feel like, well, if I'm speaking, then I'm, I'm heard. Yeah. But if it's a you know, there's so many subtle things that yeah, I mean, I, the camera is almost like a magnifying lens in a absolutely. way. Absolutely, it kind of can really zoom in on you. You can read your thoughts in a way absolutely. that you never really thought before. Which is why so many of my lines got cut from the office because they knew what I was thinking. That was actually like a true <laughs> thing. They're like, we don't need the line. But that was really laugh. such like a part of the tone and the nuance absolutely. of the office. Just yeah, I'm could... so honored to be a part of that show I, I, because I feel like it totally changed television. There's so many shows that reflect what we were doing yeah. and that it never existed before and that to some people it seems so odd and so like, what's this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned before, like the SNL Second City, that was in the early 1990s yeah. and the office was early 2000s. Yeah. What was sort of the yeah. trajectory to oh, getting to that office oh audition? Oh God, it was so many mistakes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, um, I... Uh, well, I toured with the Really Brady Bunch for like a whole year because um, we, we were like on this crazy, like um, I, there was actually like the second half of the year we were on a bus and truck tour. So we were literally on a, the Allman Brothers old rock and roll bus. Uh, and that was affiliated with Second City. The, the it Brady. wasn't. No, no. Oh, that, it was Jill Solly. It was okay. the annoyance. Yeah. Um, but I remember Anna Gasteyer was on that bus. Um, from so there was a few All people right. that like, uh, and the guy from K-Rock, um, Ralph Garman, there was a few of us. And. Um, but it was, it was, that was like a very interesting, like, I, I mean, I, I never thought I would do a tour for a year. I, I think I only signed up for the first half and then like somebody dropped out the second. So I ended up doing the second, 
but that was like, I, I mean, I'm glad I was in my 20s. I can't imagine doing it now. But um, <laughs> although I have been touring with Jane Lynch and we've hit a lot of the same places, which is so weird because we played the Kennedy Center then and we, I just played the Kennedy Center with oh, her. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Play the Kennedy Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. So, so yeah, I mean, it was a really good tour uh, back then. But then I had, uh, then I, I met somebody on the road, a guy that I moved in with way too fast and shared way too much of my credit with and lived in New York for a little while and moved to um, LA with him because I went to do the play Valley of the Dolls which was with some of the um, uh, Brady Bunch people. It was Tom Booker's Theater of Go-Go and it was a very cult. I mean, I call it like pre-YouTube theater. Um, it was similar to the Brady Bunch where we were just doing a movie on stage but it had a very cult following. Yeah. So there was a, um, it was very Rocky Horror and um, this was like you know, 96, 97, in, in um, at 95 it started. Um, uh, it was um, the gay culture. It was like very, um, it was a, it was a, just a different time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, Valley of the Doll, similar to Rocky Horror, has that kind of, you know, campy vibe. Totally, to it, so. totally. Where you just have to do what's, <laughs> like, I was, sometimes felt like I was conducting the audience because they would just say certain lines with me. I was the Patty Duke right. part, the Neely O'Hara. So during that uh, time, like I remember when we, 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 I moved to New York, to LA to do, start the show and then the show ended up going off Broadway. So when I was uh, back in New York, then I broke up with a guy, you know, we broke up, it was a mess. I was like sleeping on couches for a while. I went through some really serious financial crap because of it um, that I had, had, you know, just naively, it's like, how do you divorce someone you weren't married to? Yeah. You gotta get ba- <laughs> bankrupt. And I don't recommend that for, for many people, but it was, it was a really huge lesson for me, and I really felt like I had to um, just kind of uh, figure out my place. And, I, and and when Valley of the Dolls ended um, uh, in 97, like I started singing in a band with John Flansburg, and then They Might Be Giants, he had another band called Monopuff. Yeah. We used to open for the Giants, and, and we had our own little tour going on, but we were mostly playing like the Lower, West, Lower East Side. And, it was, you know, really great fun. I felt like in some ways I couldn't get arrested because I, I felt like Valley of the Dolls was a critical hit and I did have some attention. Like I had this interview in Interview Magazine for Ones to Watch and I realized like it was eight years later that The Office happened. So it's just like, oh my God, you know, which it doesn't, <laughs> it, it was a really long eight years though. Yeah. And I eventually got back to, um, to uh, LA in like 2000 and then just, you know, was doing my comedy act, The Lampshades, and Waiting Tables in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Like, oh, The Lampshades, which you're doing now currently yes, as well. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm ne- kind of never stopped. It's like this thing that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's this, like, it's actually like a two-person dying lounge act, and we're, we've actually become the thing we're making fun of. It's like, we are, like, there's kind of no difference between our characters. It's like, well, we're like kind of, tra- we're that. trapped in an act. <laughs> We're trapped doing this act, and so it's like the act continues. It's really interesting. Have um, you always, you've always had that love for theater, so that's always been well, there. For doing live stuff, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, uh, three years ago, Jane Lynch asked me to uh, kind of be her sidekick in a live performance that she was doing in New York for a few days. And um, it was such a blast. We had such a great time, and it ha- hasn't really stopped. We've been touring um, for the last two and a half years, almost three years, yeah. um, uh, with a five-piece band. And it's just kind of this crazy. Um, Is that where the Christmas album? Uh, yes, that's why we did the Christmas yep. album. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been this really fun um, uh, place to kind of really shine in a weird. I mean, we're playing like these performing arts centers and these giant symphony halls, and we're playing Joe's Pub in New York and the Kennedy Center and all this great stuff. And it's like, 
it's this thing where like for me i'm so pleased because i didn't know if i still had the muscles to do that yeah. and i realized like oh my god i'm so wired for that but I, you you won't catch me in like a lay miz tour <laughs> i kill myself but i i understand like there's a certain niche like there's a certain thing that i really fall into and what i love about working with jane is that she's so generous letting me kind of mess with her i mean she's sort of the the taskmaster and I'm like the sheepdog that kind of comes in and messes everything up <laughs> and sometimes I'm doing things behind her and she doesn't even know what I'm doing but but she knows that I'm supporting you know it's like we're these weird heightened versions of ourselves yeah. so it's you know it's been really uh, an interesting um, opportunity you yeah. know and really just a gift so uh, but going back uh, to the office so yeah. how did you so at that time I think the the English show yes. was that was very very big with Ricky big, Gervais yes so how did you hear about the audition or were you sort of recommended for it or um, how did it you know what it was just like a regular call i remember i couldn't go i know i remember i auditioned for the for the for the pilot um and uh i couldn't go initially no yeah i couldn't no i could go initially and then i didn't get i auditioned for jan first didn't get jan clearly they went another way uh, <laughs> <laughs> lauren was awesome but um uh, and then i went back for another part a few months later and i remember like i was out of town and I couldn't make it and then they didn't find the person right away so I got to Had go. they reshot the pilot or were they? No, I just wasn't so you, in the pilot. Okay. That's showbiz, baby. That's right. <laughs> uh, but um, I remember when I first got it, I didn't know what, I didn't know if I would continue every week. I wasn't sure if I was going to do, because we just did six episodes for the first year because we were technically just guest stars and I was like, I'm, I'm not sure, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was still waiting tables and I kept my job because I didn't know if we were going to continue. So I would cover my shifts during the weekend. I would still work my Sunday brunch. Right. And uh, I just remember they asked us to improvise uh, at our tables, at our desks, I mean. Um, at, so they wanted us to be there all day. So they asked us to bring real paperwork so that we could actually just be doing busy work. It wasn't really about like creating scenes. It was more about like creating your own world. Yeah. At your Developing that whole environment that we... Yep. Yeah. Got used to seeing every week. Absolutely, and and um, our computers didn't didn't work. Only a few of them worked um, in the, in the first season. So we really like. I remember just doing this crazy staple project, and I was doing like some of my tax work. <laughs> like I read like Ruth Gordon's book, this thick ass book. It was fantastic. Um, but I loved that it really created uh, an ensemble vibe. Um, so you know, I, I feel like it was it was them figuring out how to shoot us like we're you know deer in the wild or giraffes yeah. in the, on the, you know i mean it's crazy like they really kind of treated us like we were um animals in it was the a very unique style you see it you know being copied so much now yeah. in almost every show but right seeing it at that time that was like the first yeah. of that well our dp and our uh first camera they were they had worked on survivor <laughs> really <they> like literally <laughs> like literally were the perfect like who would think that that would make sense for us but it totally did it's like they were, um, you know, they were swinging. We weren't swinging. You know, they were kind of catching. They the were ball. chasing after everybody. Yep. So did you guys have kind of the freedom to move about the set any way you uh, wanted? Not any way. Part? You just didn't want to interfere with the with the scene, like with what needed the story that needed to be told in each scene. Yeah. Um, but there were certainly moments that you could kind of, you know, sort of physically figure out like what your opinion was. You know what I mean? What your characters. Is reality was for whatever was happening yeah. which is like amazing was it clear um like the tone that would be developed because it's it's very like super yeah. hyper realistic absolutely it's funny because my boyfriend who's a nbc photographer he shot their first gallery and 
Greg was like, no one look at the camera. No, like he did not want it to look like a TV show at all. Uh, so, uh, it, but I feel like what, what I, he had, I feel like I love how protective he, of, the, of what we were doing. It was like, he was so protective of the process. Yeah. And I feel like so many times you work on TV and there's so many other cooks that you don't really get a sense of like who's uh, whatever you, you some stuff just artistic stuff but here was really side. like his vision and he was implanting that in yeah yeah so I'm I'm so grateful to him because I feel like he taught me how to be you know I I, I mean it's like I don't I don't even know how he knew that I could do what I got to do and all of us like how he, but he really trusted us and he really knew how to communicate and yeah and Steve was such a huge part too because Steve was I mean, talk about, like, we were re literally on his coattails. I mean, the first season, he had most of the talk talking for most of the show anyway, but I feel like um, the summer, well, the time between first season and second season, 40-Year-Old um, Virgin came out. Or, no, no, he, 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 it was about to come out during the beginning of the second season. Yeah. And I feel like that was what totally, that changed the show. It changed everyone's interest I mean it changed also it changed the character because I feel like he really fought for Michael to have more heart than say David Brent yeah you know and and he was so much more relatable and I think the writers trusted him because he yeah. also and he wanted like everybody like inherently like him I think that was really key to yep. the Michael Scott character absolutely absolutely and I think David Brent might have but also had like a weird defense thing that Michael Scott didn't have uh, Michael Scott was much more vulnerable and I feel like that's why um, people could plug in, and and he did have some uh, very few yeah. victories, but very small victories. But but we were so like surprised by how we felt about those as an audience. It seemed like over time in every season, you know, all the characters like you and Craig Robinson and uh, you know Rain Wilson, everybody sort of was able to kind of pop out and have their moments. Do you Absolutely. feel that that was? coming along in a way yeah it, well it was weird because in some ways I was like because I had had a bunch of storylines cut in season two and some of it had nothing to do with me because it was like you know I remember the Halloween episode was the first time they were supposed to reveal that I was an alcoholic and it completely got cut because they wanted Michael to be handing out candy at the end like they had this whole thing and <laughs> uh, and my storyline was so dark I was like a witch with like blown out brains you can't. You can barely see me. You, they barely show me. I literally like swiped the screen when, when the final cut. But Paul Feig was the director, and we went through this whole. And I remember feeling like, oh my god, am I gonna get fired? Like I didn't know what. I was like, I didn't understand that. Like they were just gonna cook all this information. It was just gonna come out in this like beautiful stew. Yeah. And, and also the fact that like my character was not like the accountants. It wasn't like Angela or, or uh, Kevin and, and and Oscar. Like I or Phyllis and Stanley like sometimes I wouldn't talk for some episodes at all and but I feel like they found this like power in the, the less is more thing for me and I really grew to trust it yeah you see the little hints of the alcoholism coming out and yeah 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 and and like, really yeah absolutely by the, the yeah surface. by the time the Christmas episode came out then it was like it was like okay all bets are off and then like and guess what you're taking your top off I'm like what <laughs> uh, so <laughs> but I just it was just I just, by that point, like, there had been such a sense of trust and feeling like, okay, well, you don't, then I don't want to talk too much because I do feel like sometimes if characters have a lot of exposition, we sort of don't listen to them as much or we don't enjoy, yeah. you know. I, don't, I mean, what I get from the fans now is that, like, there should have been more merit. Uh, I'm like, you know what? Less is more. And I feel like I don't know if... I don't know. I don't know if it would have done the same... Uh, the chess match, match would have been different. You yeah. know, I don't know if I would have 
won my victories, you know. Yeah, because I think the tone of the show is all about kind of like what's going on in these people's heads. How are they reacting to all these crazy scenarios that Michael's putting forward? Absolutely. But I feel like, you know, season three, I feel like I sort of went under, my, uh, Meredith went under, and then season four was the uh, first episode was when I got hit by the car, and I was like, we're off and running, man. So it was almost like the holdback really helped because it felt like literally it came out of nowhere. Yeah. No, that episode in particular when you get hit by the car, I mean, that's when you really popped on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, um, just the idea of Michael feeling like he wants to help, but, you know, and then that kind of got set up for, like, you know, trying to get me sober, you know, Meredith sober for, um, you know, Rock and Christmas and stuff like that where we're, again, another Paul Feig episode, you know, cra yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, Paul yeah. Feig, Harold Ramis, I think Jason Reitman yeah. directed. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, we had so many great people. Yeah. Was everybody sort of, all the directors that came on, were they very clear about, okay, this is how the show is to be shot, or did they have any leeway in how they, they wanted to? I think they understood uh, what was already set up. They understood the reverence of what, I, I don't think they were going to change um, too much. They weren't going to reinvent our wheel, but they were just going to make it ride, like, just smooth and wonderful. Like, they just had this, I, I, I just loved Harold Ramis. I felt like nothing was too small for him to notice or to uh, care about. Just a really great, yeah. What did he pick up from watching him work? Uh, um, I just like sometimes he would fight for these little moments that like seem like why would you you know, like because our writers were very much um, on hands on producers and sometimes they would, you know, um, try to direct the director and I was like oh no he's the greatest <laughs> no 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 but you know I I get it like that was their right and that's you know because um, they were we were in new territory so they were allowed to I mean they should have been allowed to do that that's their thing but yeah. I just feel like with certain directors like I'm like oh no 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 you don't understand you have the greatest surgeon in the world like just let him do his thing you know <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered about uh, the office set so was that built on a soundstage or it was, was that on a soundstage of... but it did have four walls and a ceiling ah and um, the ceiling, some, some, sometimes they would pop stuff out of the, of the drop ceiling to put extra lights in. But as you can tell, I looked so good on the show. They didn't use, you know, <laughs> they didn't use very much. You know, the lighting was very um, specific, yeah. you know, which was great. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, and it actually made it for a very efficient workplace because we all, there weren't a lot of setups. If you had a lighting setup, it would be like maybe 10 minutes as opposed to, other TV shows where it's like it could be 45 minutes or an hour yeah, because they wanted that kind of flat fluorescent light look right so it wasn't really about adding like a lot of key right. lights in there absolutely and we weren't like doing a lot of uh, coverage as they say like we didn't have to get closer 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 it's like because they had the zoom in ability and the way that it was shot they kind of had it like a really great thing going on so we yeah. could get a lot done in a pretty short period of time and Steve is an amazing uh, just an amazing actor. He could give ten choices. He'd do the same thing, but ten different ways, and like, and one was funnier than the next. And like, I, I, he he's really is, he's a genius. Yeah, he's that was really the first. Uh, he was on the Daily Show before right. that, but that was really the right. first project that really put him yeah, on. Yeah, he'd done a bunch of pilots because I know my boyfriend, who was an NBC photographer, was sort of like, uh oh, it's Steve. I guess the pilot's not going to make it. You know, because he, <laughs> he had done so many. Um, but luckily, you know, this was the thing he was waiting for. You know, he had done Anchorman too, but again, that was kind of a small part, you know, yeah. or just a, a supporting part, I should yeah. say. He's kind of one of those actors where almost like, like Dustin Hoffman at the beginning, like you never think like that's like a leading man. Totally. But he is a hundred percent, like you get behind him as a, as an audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like he really, uh, championed the heart of the show and, you know, and I feel like as, as a as a girl, like I always loved the Jim and Pam, uh, 
unrequited. I, I, I was so invested in rooting for them. You know, just we would just do table reads. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was ex ex as excited as the fans, you know. What were uh, some moments that you feel like you were really able to kind of contribute most to the show in a way? Um, gee, there's so many. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. Oh. Um, I think, um, I don't know. I think I, I, I think I was just really lucky to get to, um, play with the, with the big leagues. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't feel like, I mean, I, I feel like, um, my contribution was also the, the writers. It was really Greg Daniels who, who, decided that um, uh, Meredith was worth these moments and that we were going to just play this little game through the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm just really grateful. I, I did do more physical comedy than anybody on the show. Um, <laughs> but I <laughs> Obviously being hit by the car the first. Uh, yes. uh, did you do that stunt? I, mean, I, were you... I did. Um, uh, I did. I had to, they, there was a big mat, on, but I had to, like, it wasn't that bad, but I, I did get a little bruised up because I, we had shot part of it before where I was wearing this short sleeve blouse. I'm like, God damn it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just had to hit the glass and roll off. It, it wasn't too bad, but I was just, you know, it was just about a, a matter of like getting exactly what they wanted. But you know, there's like the parkour episode where they, I was like bouncing, I was, I was planking, sorry, I was planking yeah. on the um, top of the stall and, and, uh, Dwight comes in and, and blasts Meredith with the fire extinguisher, so I had like a fall. I had, but I got hit in the face with a football. I actually did that stunt for a little bit because I thought it was going to be funnier. And then when I saw it, I was like, I could have been anybody with a wig on. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> shot that from a distance. Right, you were, just sort of. You I was like, that okay. wasn't what I thought was happening. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, and then, you know, there was, oh my God, and then we actually worked with a real bat. Uh, Joss Whedon was our director for the Oh, that was a real bat? I kept thinking yeah, that was like had, a CGI. It was uh, a couple. It was wow. a real bat, um, a CGI bat, and then they actually had a puppet. So there was some guy under my large denim skirt with like the stick literally up my ass um, who like went there and I was like, hey, can I get your name? Can we just say hi before you put your hand up my ass? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the net with the bat. Didn't that go over your head? It was a a, a, pla a, a plastic bag. A oh, plastic bag. Yeah, yeah. That and there was like an electric thing, or I mean, a, a motorized thing with like where the bat had. It was like literally on my head, and it was like. And the, the bat was, was literally inside there. There was no, no, no. Oh, that no, was no. The, that was the electronic. Oh, that was bat. the electronic yeah, bat. Yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. it was, it was Motorized. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I know. <laughs> and then the guy was like sort of controlling it. I'm like, whatever. It was very. It was, um, yeah. Did you do a lot of physical comedy in Second City? Um, um, not, not as much, no. Um, but I certainly had it the annoyance, and, and uh, it's certainly something I love. And I feel like that's the, that's the gift of, like, kind of figuring out who does what, you know, letting people do their thing. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it was always, like, a, like a, a good challenge. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think uh, the dynamic of the show changed after Steve Carell had left? Was um, it, uh... I think we were... It was, you know, I, I didn't, I felt like the Florida thing was, um, a lot to accept at first. I, I was nervous about it. Um, but there, everybody's so, such a strong actor and like, and, and I, having like Kathy Bates was like so surreal. I mean, she's amazing. And, um, but I do feel like there was a little, we were swimming for a while and then, you know, we, we, then we were floating again, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I and I, I didn't like too much when Jim and Pam were kind of really at odds. I was like, oh no, you know, but, <laughs> but I, I understood what, you know, that's part of, there has to be ebbs and flows. Yeah. And create that conflict so they can, they can get back together. Everybody was rooting for them so much those early seasons. Right, right, right. So, so you just don't want to 
you know, just kill the, you know, kill the baby, you know, it's like, keep the baby alive somehow, <laughs> some life support, no, I don't know. Um, but I did think like, um, you know, it was great to have Ellie Kemper and um, Ed Helms and, you know, they definitely stepped up um, in a great way and, you know, yeah. then we started to have like more guest stars and, you know, I mean, before, right before Steve uh, left, when we had like Idris Elba, I mean, there's so many. Oh, <laughs> James so Spader. James was Spader. On oh yeah. my God, James <laughs> Spader. I was so scared to death of. <laughs> Why? <laughs> one time it was a Christmas episode, and I did one scene, and I, um, my character was and Meredith was kind of like supposed to come on to him, and I grabbed his ass, and they're like, "Cut!" I mean, we finished the scene, and I was like, "Oh my God, he's gonna kill me! He's gonna kill me!" <laughs> he was actually very nice about. It. He was nicer about it than I expected, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But part of me was like, holy shit, you don't just grab Jade. I mean, I, just because every time I saw him, his entire resume would go through my head. I mean. Yeah, he hadn't done too many. Con- like, he did Pretty in Pink, I right. think, at the beginning. But aside from that, it was always, like, much heavier roles. Pretty dark. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's what I mean. Like, he brought all that gravitas. I mean, holy crap. I did uh, love uh, working with Will Ferrell because he is up, like, he is just up for anything. He's the greatest. Yeah. And I love that my Meredith Walk of Shame was with uh, with Steve and Will, like the, you know, Diego and Michael Scott were at, at Meredith's post-Katrina house. <laughs> Shithole. They actually shot at, like, guerrilla style at somebody's house that was like a, like a hoarder. I swear to God. I don't really? know how... I don't know how quickly they found this house, but it was so like... You think they wouldn't just try to set dress something and well, make it so... I know, and I'm surprised yeah. we didn't shoot more in it because it was fascinating. Every time we would walk in the house, we'd be like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Nicotine stain and like uh, the kitchen had like pizza boxes like taller than than Will Ferrell. I was uh, like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> so just like great, great, you know, and also just uh, a sense of, of um, really um, being in the right place all the time yeah. <laughs> and having a desk and a, a computer like having a place to be as an actor like having a place to sit is like it sounds so lazy but it's like sometimes there's this feeling like of awkwardness or where where we're, and it and also feels like sometimes people are using like their power like it's a little power play like well i'm gonna stand i'm gonna be here while waiting as opposed to just like everyone having a place to be yeah when we got to the set like what a gift i mean <laughs> just yeah. like all those things that um, I don't know if we'll, I'll ever have on a set again. I mean, that is very unique because on most shows, it's sort of like, here's this space and where you're yes. going to be. We're here. And it's we're like, pretend. this is your desk and this is your office. And, yep. you know. Yeah. And I actually got to keep shit in my desk, you know. I mean, I had like <laughs> fake booze and stuff too. But I, you know, I sometimes would write. Like I had, I, I could do other stuff sometimes, multitask, crazy. Uh, what did it feel like uh, finally coming to the end of the show, filming that final episode? It was uh, really um, endless and sad. And I'll tell you, I remember right before we shot the last scene, we all met in John Krasinski's trailer. And I think we all had a toast. And we went in, and then I felt like Greg Daniels just kept doing another version and another version. We were all two hours late for our own rap party. <laughs> he didn't want it to end. It was crazy. Yeah. People were like, I'm like, you know, I, I I didn't even like look at my phone until it was over, and it was just like, it was just I don't know. I just felt like there was a sense of um, just um, really honoring what what we did, you know, but yeah. not in a weird lame pat yourself on the back. It was just like you know what this so much got accomplished during this time, yeah. and it's so <laughs> rare for a show to go on that yeah. many seasons and have that type Absolutely. of following. 
Yeah, and not, and not have it be like by the end where people aren't even talking to each other. Like that was never the case. So it really felt like a family among yeah. the cast and the Absolutely. writers and everybody. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah, and I think that um, it's this thing that I, um, through like you know auditioning now and kind of feeling like sometimes I don't know which way I'm going to get treated. Like sometimes I feel like there's someone that loves the office who has you know a reverence for you know or, or they they're like a fan of mine. And sometimes it's like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's like, okay, they don't know who I am. It's like, get them, get them and get them out. I never know what I'm going to get like in some of these circumstances, but I feel like I get to hold the fact that I had this experience and it doesn't yeah. matter what other people think. It really doesn't. It's like there was something that was lived and breathed and um, no matter what happens, I feel like I'll always be proud of it. I don't think I'll turn on TV, you know, Netflix in five years and be like, ugh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's dated, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, to have something like be part of pop culture, you know, that and really make that stamp. Right, 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 and and not in a way that feels like because I feel like there's other things that were in fashion, like in pop culture when we were doing it. And I feel like you don't, they just kind of went away. So it's weird that we've sort of had this weird, yeah. steady underground thing. Well, especially I think a lot of the jokes aren't like of just of that moment only. Right. So you can watch it now and say, you know, right, that just has significant yeah, universal absolutely. reverence to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, there's the kind of the, the Zen of, um, you know, working with people who you know are at the top of their game and that whatever, whatever they're creating, it's like, it's, it's, um, we will never be here again. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh my God, this is crazy. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Yeah. I just remember one time, um, when we were doing office Olympics, there was one take where we were had this like fake closing ceremonies with all the paper uh, birds and stuff and the yogurt lids for medals and Mike you know Steve Carell he decided to cry during one of the episodes because uh, during one of the takes because the Olympics made him cry <laughs> the music <laughs> the Olympics and I was like uh, it was unbelievable like he he really brought his heart and soul so I think that when someone does that it it's like you're only as what, I feel like no one can really fail if you, unless you're yeah. really not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like he always like put his entire always. effort into it every single time. Always. Like he felt that dedication to it. He was never phoning it in. Never. Ever. Never. Like he was really putting himself out there. Yeah. He was not afraid of being embarrassed or anything. I right. Mean, you could feel his pain and not yeah. in like a eh It was more like a oh God, like that really good <laughs> juicy pain that's awkward and, you know, loaded. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say, after uh, The Office, I mean, how did you feel like as an artist? Like, were there things that you really wanted to develop from that point on? or um, Because working with Jane Lynch has really been a big foundation for you, too. And ab absolutely. I think um, I think I, I kind of suffer from, um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm working through it, but I feel like I suffer from the actor-writer thing where it's like, I'm an actor, I have a great idea. And I feel like nine times out of ten, that's not true. <laughs> it's not usually not that great that an actor has this like self-congratulatory idea. So I feel like I'm a little too hard on myself. I have been developing a few ideas, but it's going very slow. Uh, I have, unfortunately I'm dealing with some critics in my head that I need to get rid of. But um, I will say that um, um, I think that it's just you know having worked with great writing like you understand I think that's why that's like the bar so high in my head that's part yeah. of it too uh, <laughs> um, but I think that um, just kind of understanding that like 
no matter what I do from this point on, I can give my best. And I think that's something I learned from Steve. It's like, um, it doesn't matter how many lines you have or how little you have to do on paper. You bring your whole self to every project. Yeah. And even if it's like you're the person that doesn't like cause any trouble, who's pleasant to be around, like you get points for that. Yeah. I mean, so it's like a team effort to make absolutely. a movie, to make a TV show, to make anything. And I do think that there is unfortunately like a lot of actors, you know, my boyfriend says like, if you can't be good, be loud. Like sometimes people kind of throw their ego around because they're insecure. And um, I'm insecure, but I don't do that. <laughs> I feel like, I, but I'll tell you like, eh, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I, and I don't think it really, I think it actually takes away from the project. I think the thing I learned from Steve and Greg Daniels is like the project is the most important thing or don't do it. Yeah, it's like yeah. serve the scene, serve the Absolutely. movie, And that's the a TV second show. thing too, improv yeah. thing. And, and it's like, if you're not serving uh, the people around you and sometimes serving them means you need to step up and, and just do something crazy or do something bigger because they're not doing it. But when you're working with people who are very competent, you have to really figure out like, what are you giving? You know, not just like, yeah. what are you saying? It's like, what are you giving? Are you giving something that could possibly be taken further or, and it's okay if it's not, you know, doesn't mean whatever. Uh, well, do you have any uh, upcoming dates for your stage show? Or lampshades um, or even with Yeah, Jamie? actually I'm doing a lampshade show tomorrow night and uh, at, at, uh, at, in Burbank, we sometimes play flappers and then we're doing a show April 18th with Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh wow! At the, at the, yeah, yeah. I like he, him a lot. Yeah, yeah. He's great. He he's great. He does a show at the Hollywood Improv uh, called Crab App, the Crab Apples. It's just like a crazy name because he's been doing this for so long. Um, so sometimes we're kind of a little bit in the stand-up world, and then uh, Jane and I are doing um, uh, some uh, just some a bunch of benefits uh, this month. Um, so I think that's kind of what all the only thing that's on the menu right now that I can that I can talk about. Wow. I also have a, a show that I've been working on all year um, that I'm, I've voiced on a new show that's, uh, they just announced it, but I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it's called OKKO. Okay uh, it's um, an animated uh, show. It's an animated show. Yeah, Cartoon Network. It's um, uh, Ian Jones Quarter. He's a, one of the writers from um, he, uh, from uh, uh, Adventure Time. He created this new show. It's called OKKO okay Let's Be Heroes. And I play K.O.'s mom. Wow. So that's been really, really fun. It's been kind of a fun thing. And I have a recurring character on Steven Universe. Um, I play Barb, the post person who's... Yeah. Um, and you were on Brooklyn uh, Nine-Nine. Yeah, yeah. I was just a guest star on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played Mead Marge. And then I have a, uh, I had a little recurring thing this year with um, American Housewife uh, on ABC. I played um, Crossing Guard Sandy, who was like Katie Mixon's um, mortal enemy on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I just did another, another period. Uh, season three, Annie Sullivan comes back with Helen Keller. We were in the pilot and we just came back. Wow. <laughs> we came back for the Olympics of 1906. Hilarious. Uh, is, it, is it interesting to step into these shows and see sort of cats yes. that are developed and the chemistry and kind of peering into that a little bit? Absolutely. And, and what was so fun about being on uh, another period is that the lead camera was um, uh, on the office. Um, uh, Sarah, um, it, it just kind of a great, like, you know, there's crew people that you see again where you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> or directors. It's kind of awesome. Like there's some overlap. I, Brooklyn Nine Nine had a lot of uh, crew people from the office too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah similar yeah. style. Similar, absolutely. But yeah, it's it is fun. Like I, I I did like the second episode of New Girl this season, and I was like season six, man, sex, second episode, like you know. <laughs> so you know, I understand like where they are, you know, and they're um, just in the in their process because they're like, how long is this gonna go? Are we gonna keep getting to do this because they're a very close uh, group over there. 
yeah. you know you definitely feel like like they're they have a family vibe and like they're kind of really grateful they'll get to do what they do not always true on every show so it's kind of great <laughs> when you see it you know so yeah it's been it has been interesting and i feel like i've learned a lot and uh you know it's um it's never 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 a dull yeah i guess just to wrap it up what would you say is maybe the uh the biggest takeaway from i guess your whole journey you could, uh... um, I, uh, I will say that I love being a late bloomer. I love that uh, the biggest job I got was uh, at 40 because I feel like I probably would have fucked it up at 20. And if I didn't fuck it up, I still feel like um, my perspective would not be as um, just as... Uh, to just appreciate it, or yeah. just to... Uh, to well, I think the level of gratitude yeah. and the level of reality is so appreciated, and I do kind of feel like um, I have been invited to like um, a great party, and I, if I continue to show up to the party, there's a place for me, yeah. and it's really up to me to remember that because it's easy sometimes to kind of misinterpret signs, and I just feel like anybody that is really following their dreams, I mean. Don't worry if you're waiting tables, if you're doing something else, it's not personal. It's just part of your process. And it's yeah. and why not you? So yeah, I'm 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 still eternally grateful and I feel like I've still continue to find these great sweet spots and you know even though I I sometimes hold myself a little and uh, I'm, I'm I'm comparing myself to other people which I shouldn't because it's really like when I when I'm really feeling um, right in the world like I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and that's a great feeling and I do feel that more often um, than most people I think <laughs> <laughs> not all the time not all the time not during pilot season but that's okay uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm also just remembering that like that I don't have to worry about like I'll never have something that could get that might be true but I don't have to suffer over that either and it's like there's so many um, so many gifts that I've been given because of the office I mean that was and it, it probably will be the greatest show I ever worked on. I, I can't imagine topping that experience <laughs> on, on so many levels. And that's okay. You know, as a, an aging female in Hollywood, you know, yeah. good for me, man. I didn't get a lot of makeup. And so there, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's a great thing. I feel like um, I kind of like fooled them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think you were excellent. But Thank you so much. Cool. But you know what I'm saying. It's, I know. Not, it's like there's a weird. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's it's it is a great feeling, and I I um, I just uh, I, whatever. I I just I just thank you for having me. I mean, I wouldn't. I pro we probably wouldn't be talking um, if it wasn't for the office. So that's kind of cool. Well, appreciate you taking the time to uh, record today. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you so much. It was very nice to thank meet you. Thank you. I, I didn't ask you anything. Oh my god. I'm horrible. <laughs>